Morning, church. Morning, church. Morning, everyone. My name's Jeremiah, if you haven't met me. Um, I have the pleasure to be bringing today's word to us. Today we'll be um, digging into John chapter 4, verse 1 to 26. And as you're getting that out, I might say a quick prayer before we open God's word today. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we meet your Son in the Bible, let us come before your word that we may be guarded beyond unbelief and distraction. Lord, we pray that as we read your word and listen from E today, Lord, that we may adorn your gospel through reading and living out your word. Lord, help us worship you through your spirit and through faith. And Lord, we pray for Iggy to faithfully preach your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Cool. So we'll be going through John chapter 4, verse 1 to 26. And if you haven't got a Bible here today, feel free to put your hand up. And the host team will be handing out NIV Bibles. Today, I'll be reading from the NIV version from John chapter 4, verse 1 to 26. Starting from verse 1. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, "'Will you give me a drink?' His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water, he told her. Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming where you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. 
Yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. God is Spirit and His worshippers must worship in the Spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am He. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jerry. All right, friends, we're going to continue in our series this week on church. Such a huge topic, such an important topic for us. It shapes how we live, what we do, not just here on a Sunday, but each and every day, friends. And very important to that idea is worship. And that's what we'll be looking at today. Before we start, um, yeah, I just want to tell you about um, a record, a Guinness World Record. My kids have a Guinness World Record book at home, and it's got lots of interesting things in it. And I happened to be at the music page the other day, and I saw this band. Um, I'm not sure if you guys um, might have heard of them, BTS. I don't know if you've heard of them before. Pretty small sort of group, I think, yeah. Um, I think they might be a little bit famous, but I think they hold 20... 23 Guinness World Records, 23 Guinness World Records. I won't list them all out here, um, but there's a lot of, you know, most streams in, like, you know, the first 24 hours, stuff like that. Um, but one of them, which I thought was really staggering, all right, one of, the, one of these records that's really staggering is the amount of listens on Spotify. So they hold a record for the amount of listens on Spotify. Anyone want to have a guess? Shout it out. Anyone want to have a guess? Anyone? No? Uh, close. 31.96 billion streams. I don't even know how many zeros that number has. I don't know if you guys can tell me that. 31.96 billion streams as of the 3rd of March, 2023. That's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, I think it's clear to see... Uh, clear to, you, can, you can say that people worship these guys, right? They've got this fan club called the BTS Army. Some of you are probably in it. I know. <laughs> millions and millions of people in the BTS Army... You know, they're the sort of guys, they go to concerts and, you know, um, they walk by and people faint and stuff like that. You know, their fans, like, they, they worship these guys. They'll do anything. They'll fly around the world following them to go to all their concerts, buy all their merch, uh, do everything. It's utter and complete devotion to BTS. And you might look at that and, you're, and you think to yourself, that's a bit silly, isn't it? You know, what, what, what's going on there? That's a bit silly. Um, well, I want to say something. You know, the, some people choose BTS, some, it might be a celebrity, it might be, a, you know, someone else for you, but we all worship someone, or we all worship something. I think we're actually worshippers, you know, God made us to worship. He created our hearts to be captured by something good, right? He created us uh, so that we would have our affections and our desires and our loves focused towards someone or something. Our hearts are worship centres, Devoting ourselves to what we deem worthy of our worship. In the New Testament, the word, there's a few words for worship. The two main ones um, mean to bow down. Number one's bow down. It means to kiss the ground before someone who's worthy, all right? Or to serve, to bow down and to serve. It means complete devotion and submission. We all worship. We all worship. I don't know if you realize that. There's things in this life that your energy your time and your money are going towards. They're the things you worship. But there's only one thing, or one person, I should say, deserving of worship. And it shouldn't surprise you to say that 
for me to say now that it's God. Let me show you from Revelation 4.11. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. It should be no surprise that I say that God's worthy of worship. He's the one that created everything. By this fact alone, He's worthy of worship. This is church after all. Of course, we're going to worship God. But the question I want to ask today is, what does that actually mean? What does it look like to worship God properly? And once again, this is a huge topic, right? It's a huge sermon. So I'll try and do it justice, um, but I think we'll just be scraping the surface today. But the sermon roughly is in two parts today. What is worship and what does that mean for us as a church, okay? So what is worship and what does it look like to be a worshipping church? Uh, and the first point is this, revolutionary worship. Uh, John 4, that passage in front of you, keep it open, is arguably the most definitive passage on worship in the whole Bible. I don't know if you realise that. Here we see Jesus, he's having a conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well. Uh, that's, that's controversial in and of itself because Jews and Samaritans don't mix. Samaritans were half-breed Jew Gentiles despised by the Jews. They were deemed as impure and dirty. Um, and we see Jesus having a conversation with this woman, and it's a really confusing and confronting conversation for her. Jesus, at the start of the conversation, has offered her water leading to eternal life. She's thinking, what, what does that mean? And then later on in the conversation, he's just confronted her with her sin. Um, he asked her to call her husband. She says, well, I don't have a husband yet. You've had five, and now you're living with a man who's not your husband. There's adultery. There's shameful sin now. And Jesus just confronted her with that. And here's her, do you notice what her response was? Have a look at chapter 4, verse 19 in your Bibles. Have a look in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, look onto your neighbor or just listen along. John 4, 19. This is her response when Jesus confronts her with that sin. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, that's a bit of an odd response, isn't it? That's a bit weird. Maybe she's trying a bit of a distraction tactic. Jesus is like, hey, here's a bit of sin. And she's like, hey, don't worry about that sin. Let's talk about worship, Jesus. Let's talk about worship. Or maybe she's actually starting to see that Jesus is someone very special. Now, to give some context, the Samaritans, uh, they had set up a shrine at a place called Mount Gerizim, which was not authorized by God, but that was a place that they had um, made their place of worship, this shrine. The Jews, meanwhile, worshipped at the temple in Jerusalem, um, which was God's authorized place of worship. It had been for centuries. You know, you've seen that ever since um, uh, Solomon built the temple in the Old Testament. It's been, you know, sort of rebuilt and gone through a few iterations, but this is the center of worship for the Jewish people. The temple represented God's presence amongst his people. That's where you went to make offerings uh, to God. That's where you went to go to pray. There were priests there to mediate for you, speak on your behalf to God. That's where you went to worship. But here's the thing about the temple. The temple, the whole system, the, the, it was a failure. It was a complete failure. As we see the Old Testament progress, we see the temple worship becoming increasingly more and more corrupt. People didn't worship God as he desired. It was making God actually sick. Have a look at this chapter, um, this verse from Isaiah 1, just like coming up on the screen. Isaiah 1, verse 12. Look at what God says about worship, all right? When you come before me, come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbath, convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. What was the issue with this worship? That, 
They were doing everything God wanted, you know, the ceremonies, the sacrifices, the offerings, all this, but it's making God sick. What's the issue? Well, it's sin. Sin's the issue. Because when it comes to worship, what God is after is not our religious ceremonies. It's not our doing the right thing. It's our hearts and our minds set on Him and devoted to Him and belonging to Him and Him alone. That's something for us all to know, isn't it? This Samaritan woman is a perfect example. She's talking about worship. She probably heads along to her place of worship, her shrine, which she set up to God, uh, which the Samaritans are set up to God. Maybe once a week she goes there, but the rest of her life, uh, she's living in adultery and sin. How can that worship be pleasing to God? Jesus declares a new way of worship is needed. The temple has failed. There's something wrong there. Now have a look at what he says in John 4, verse 21. Have a look in your Bibles. John 4, verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming where you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit and His worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. What Jesus is declaring here is a worship revolution. He's turning everything on its head, everything that they've ever known, right? Everything they've ever known uh, about worship is being turned around. No longer is worship to be confined to a geographical location in a specific time doing specific things. This is a new type of worship. This is worship in spirit and in truth. Well, what's that mean? Some people think there's two types of worshippers, right? There's people who worship in spirit. They're the people who, um, you know, they really feel God. They enter God's presence. Uh, They experience God. They get emotional. It's all heart, no head. And then there's those type of people that worship God in truth. Very word-centered, academic, doctrinal, a bit dry. Actually, all head, no heart. Is that what it's talking about here, spirit and truth? I think it's much more profound. I think it's much more profound than a style of worship, a preference of worship. It's talking about how worship is even possible at all. How worship is possible. Verse 24, I'll put it up on screen. Sorry. Verse 24 says this. God is spirit. God is spirit. He's not flesh and blood. That means if you, go, if you want to go meet God, you don't have to go to a mountaintop, a shrine, or a temple. God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. So if you want to come to God in worship, it isn't about going to a place. Firstly, it's about doing so, worshipping Him in spirit. Think about this for a minute. If you're sitting here and you're a believer in Christ today, if you've repented and you've believed in Jesus Christ, that's because the Holy Spirit has come to you and regenerated your heart. He's given you new life. He's made you clean. And now, guess what? He dwells with you. The Holy Spirit dwells with you, dwells in you. And that is very significant because what's that mean? It means that God is with you. You don't have to go to God. He's come to you. His presence is there. Wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever the time, always, always, you are in His presence because of the Spirit. This is why we are called temples of the Holy Spirit in Scriptures. Did you you know that calls us that? 
God's people, temples of the Holy Spirit, because God dwells with us. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? And this worship in spirit is inseparably linked to worship in truth. That's why Jesus says you must worship in spirit and truth. Because think about this, how can it be that God the Holy Spirit will come and dwell with us, in us? How can it be that now we can draw near to God the Father in worship? How, how can it be that this is possible? It's only possible because God the Son, Jesus Christ, has come to wash us clean, to open up the way to worship. It's only possible because of the one that we call the truth. John 14, 6 states this. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here is the truth, the truth of God that Jesus reveals to us. That sins are paid for through his death and resurrection. That there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That there can be reconciliation, relationship restored with God, our Father, that we can draw near again. We can draw near again. True worship, friends, is Jesus-centered worship. Without Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, worship is not possible. In some churches, um, you call the person standing up here uh, the worship leader, right? The worship leader. Uh, but let me tell you something. Jesus is the only one deserving of that title. Because he is the only one that can lead you into the presence of your Father God. He forgives us. He cleanses us. He mediates for us so that we are worthy to draw near. We worship in truth. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Friends, this is a worship revolution. I don't think sometimes, sometimes we forget how significant this is. This changes everything. Worshipping in spirit and truth. It means we can be in God's presence all the time, anywhere, whatever we do. Jesus has changed everything. But what are the implications for this? Let me talk about the implications. Well, let me sum it up like this. Worship isn't an event. Worship is a way of life. Let me say that again. Worship isn't an event. Worship is a way of life. You're going to write one thing down, write that down today, okay? That's the thing to take away. Worship isn't an event. Worship is a way of life. My fear is today that many of us are still stuck in Old Testament thinking, though. When we think about worship, we think about coming here on Sunday and doing religious things that we think are pleasing to God. That's why we still use language like this. We still say things like this, right? Oh, are you coming to worship on Sunday? You know? Or, I love CPE because I really love the worship at CPE. Right? Now, don't get me wrong. What we're doing here is worship. But if that's all you think worship is, then you're thinking far too small. If that's the emphasis of you, on your worship, then that's far too small. That's just a minuscule part of your life. Jesus has changed everything. Worship is all of life, everything. He's opened up the way for us to approach God anytime, anywhere, whatever we're doing, approach God and worship, giving all we have to Him. And that's amazing. Think about this. Isn't it wonderful that we don't have to take some special pilgrimage to a holy land, to Jerusalem, to um, be in the presence of God? Isn't it great that we don't have to wait until we enter a special spiritual state to worship God, but the Holy Spirit is with us all the time, everywhere we go. 
Isn't it great that we don't have to wait till Sunday to come to our Father, but He's with us always? Isn't that wonderful? Because of what Jesus Christ has done, everything has changed. No matter how you feel, no matter where you are, remember this, you are close to God. And you can worship. Friends, worship isn't about coming to a specific location at a specific time to do specific religious things. That was the temple. Jesus has done away with that. He's the, he fulfills all of that. Worship is a way of life. It's a way of life. The Apostle Paul in Romans 12 puts it like this. Coming up on the screen. Have a look on the screen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is a big one. Look at this. Sacrifices, right? They were given at the temple to honor God. But what's the sacrifice we give nowadays? We don't kill a ram or a goat or a bull, something. What's our sacrifice? It's all of our life. Where to put ourselves on that altar? Give ourselves fully to God. For His honor, for His glory. What's that mean? Well, look at this, friends. It means to live lives that are holy and pleasing to Him. It means in verse 2, look at what it says in verse 2, not conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is your true and proper worship. This is your life as a living sacrifice to God. And you might be thinking as you read that, you're like, hang on a minute. Hang on, isn't that just living a godly life? Isn't that like, it says, don't follow the ways of the world, but follow God instead. Isn't that just being a Christian? What's, what's going on here? Is that really worship? Yes. Yes. This is the heart of worship. This is the essence of worship. It's living in a way that honors God with all of your life, every day, no matter where you are. This is what worship is all about. All of your life, live for God's glory. All of your life. So students, when you're studying for your exams, you worship. You know, workers, you worship when you're getting out of bed for another day in the office or the clinic or wherever you work. Parents, you worship. You're worshiping as you're preparing those lunches again and you're changing nappies again. You're trying desperately to not shout at the kids. You're worshiping. We worship as we try and be patient and love our siblings or our parents, even when it's hard. We worship when we're having a coffee with good friends. We worship when we're hiking through nature and appreciating God's beautiful creation. We worship with our hobbies. We worship with our wallets. What's your bank account saying that you worship? Your life is worship. All of your life. Your life is your worship. Which means the one question that we need to ask at all times, wherever we go, whatever we do, is this. Does this honor God? (laughs) Friends, you got to think about this, right? All that you do, all that you do, this is just the one question that we just got. It's a simple question, but very profound. It's a game changer. When you make decisions about your job, the next job, where you're going to live, right? Your house, uh, your car, your friends, uh, your, you know, what you spend your money and time on. The, the big, the question that, that should just come to your mind is this, does this honor God? Does this honor God? Because this is what he's made us for, to live a life that honors him and glorifies him and gives him all the honor. I wonder, do you see your life 
like this. Friends, you were made for worship. All of your life for God's glory. All of your life for God's glory. And if you really get this, it will change everything. Ask yourself that question. Does this honor God? So, that's a crash course on worship. Just, a, just you know, scratching the surface. But if what, if, I've, if what I've said is true, then we've got to think about the next step. What's the point of church? <laughs> What's the point of church? Maybe we've got it all wrong. Why do we put it in so much? I mean, let's, we put in a lot of effort on Sundays, right? To gather together. You, all of you put in a lot of effort to come here. All the ministry teams are putting in a lot of effort. The staff team are investing a lot of effort to making Sundays happen, right? Maybe we've got it all wrong. Maybe we should just focus on all of life worship, doing this every day, and stop investing so much time and energy here. Well, let me tell you why we need to keep gathering as church. And here's our next point, why gathered worship matters. I mentioned in past weeks that what we're doing here, number one, uh, reflects the heavenly reality of us all worshipping around the throne of Jesus Christ, right? So every time we gather, we're reflecting that heavenly reality. That, that already is a brilliant reason for us to be doing what we're doing. This is who we are. That's the first reason to keep doing what we're doing. But let, let me give you another reason for this today, um, of why we need this gathered worship. You ready? It's this. We are forgetful people. We are forgetful people. The reality is, is we so easily lose focus of Jesus, don't we? We are so fickle. Our hearts and our minds are so easily captured by all the things around us, especially in our world today. We live in this distraction culture, this distraction economy. There's, did you know there's teams of engineers at Facebook, at Google, at TikTok, being paid millions of dollars to work out just how to keep you on your phone just for another minute or two, another hour, another wasted day, you know? And there are a multitude of influencers out there telling you how to follow their ways of life. I know the youth are going through a series on influencers and their messages and how we're to view those things. People calling us to follow their way, to live a certain way. And there's so many good things as well. Food, holidays, hobbies. They're beckoning to you, calling you. Come here, you know, just don't worry about that other stuff. Don't worry about Jesus. Worry about this. And this distraction culture we live in, it doesn't just take away our time and money and attention. It captures our hearts. We live and breathe the things of this world so much that very easily we forget about Jesus. Isn't that true? So easily we forget about Jesus Christ. We forget his great love for us. We forget all that he's done to sacrifice everything for us so that we can be forgiven. We forget the new life and the new hope that he secured for us by his blood. And then we forget to worship him because we've forgotten what he's done, which is why we need church, friends. This is why we need this. If we have any hope of worshiping God with all of our lives in the midst of this society that is drawing us away all the time. We need to be reminded over and over and over and over and over again of who Jesus is and what he's done and that he alone is worthy of worship. We need this regular gathering of God's people gathered around God's word and worship. That's, a, that's at the heart of what church is. We need this to energize us, to motivate us, to inspire us, to keep going. Don't give up. Let me put it like this. Our gathered worship fuels our scattered worship, right? Our gathered worship fuels our scattered worship. That means that what we do in here 
fuels our whole life out there, right? When we walk out those doors. Every day of your lives is a spiritual battle, friends. I don't know if you realize that. Every single day. It's a battle for your hearts and minds. The enemy is out there trying to get you every time. It's a battle to live for God and not for this world. And we need to come together regularly to be reminded about what we're fighting for, who we're fighting for in this battle. Our glorious and magnificent Lord, Jesus Christ. Well, friends, how does that happen? How are we encouraged? How are we spurred on? How are we fueled to worship? Well, here's a few key elements of gathered worship that I'll go through now. Our first is preaching. First Corinthians 15, verse 1, um, the Apostle Paul writes to the church. He says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you, have been, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. I don't know if you know this, but our number one value here at CPE Church is the authority of Scripture. It means that we will treasure God's Word above all else, and we will be shaped by God's Word above all else. Nothing else matters more than that, because it's so precious to us. If we lose this, if we lose the the Word of God, then we have nothing. What's this verse tell us, that last verse? Um, Otherwise, you have believed in vain. There's no hope. It's useless if we don't hold firmly to the Gospel. There'll be no hope of us living a life of worship if we let go of the gospel. I mean, how can we? We won't even be living in faith. We won't even be following Jesus at all. So it needs to start here. This is why each and every week at CPE, we preach the gospel. I guarantee you, you bring your friend any single week here, we'll be talking about Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. The gospel will always be here, preached boldly and clearly from our prime. If we haven't done that, we failed, I think. And it doesn't matter who the preacher is, okay? It's not about us. Don't just come for, you know, certain preachers, uh, your favorite preachers or whatever. We're simply windows that you look through so that you can see Jesus Christ more clearly, friends. That's what it's all about. That's what preaching's all about. This is our purpose as we preach God's Word. So you don't forget how beautiful and glorious and wonderful Jesus is. You don't forget how loving and gracious and merciful He is. You don't forget that he deserves all glory, honor, and praise. That's why we preach the word in season and out of season all the time. Because only when you remember these things about Jesus Christ will you respond in worship. You only worship something that you think is worthy, right? That means that you actually got to look at the person that you're worshiping. Maybe you're struggling in your worship today because you've forgotten who Jesus is. Maybe that's, a, maybe that's a struggle for you. You've forgotten what he's done. You've forgotten how much he loves you. You've forgotten how glorious and wonderful he is. So of course you won't worship. There's plenty of other things that you can worship instead. That's why we need gospel-centered preaching to bring us back to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. So you can behold Jesus, not just look at him. Behold him. Behold him. So what's that mean for us practically, friends? Um, I'm not just saying this because I'm a preacher, but here's a practical implication. Listen well. Listen well, friends. That means, I don't know what that means for you. What's going to help you listen well? That's something you've got to figure out. Um, maybe it means that you have to turn off your phone, you know, because some notification keeps popping up and you're distracted. Maybe it means that you have to bring a paper Bible instead of a, you know, your phone as a Bible because that's distracting, you know. 
Um, maybe it means you take notes, because that helps you just to retain things, uh, that it helps me. This is the precious Word of God we're talking about, you know? What, what can we do to actually take it in? This is really precious. So we don't, it doesn't just fall out of our heads straight away. Maybe it means that after the service today, you actually share with someone what you've learned, you know, to go, hey, actually, this part of the sermon or this part of God's Word, even better, stood out to me. Maybe that's what it means to you. Here's an encouragement for you. Listen well. Listen well, because preaching is so important. The next element is this, singing. Singing. Praise and worship, right, is often synonymous with music. Um, you know, in Spotify, there's a whole category of a whole genre called praise and worship. Now, like I said before, we need to blow up these categories. It's, it's all of life, you know. Worship is not just a genre of song. Uh, I don't think we should use that term like that, really. Um, but, you know, it is, but singing is actually very special to God. It's got a very special place in our gathered worship. Have a look at Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Let me read it for you. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This builds on what we just saw as we talked about preaching, doesn't it? Because singing is all about what? The message of Christ dwelling among you richly. That's the verse verse up there. The message of Christ dwelling among you richly. It's about the gospel being large in your life. And there is something very special about singing the truths of the gospel, isn't there? There's something very special about it. There's something about music that engages our hearts in a different way. Did you, did you notice that? Um, it changes how we feel. It engages our affections. This is God's gift to us. It's, it's, it's different from just having something spoken to you. Um, I saw on, uh, I don't know where it was, some random social media where things just pop up for me, a video of uh, Darth Vader the other day. Uh, this is relevant, don't worry. And, um, and he was, uh, it was, it was that, that scene the, you know, where he enters and it's the Imperial March, you know that song? Dun, 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 and it's like that classic song. He comes in, so intimidating, song, but they actually replaced the music with like a romance song, like a really romantic song. Um, and when Darth Vader walked down, um, it wasn't intimidating anymore. It wasn't scary anymore. You know, all the officers were looking at him, but it wasn't fear, it was love. You know, it was something, it was really odd. That music, it changed the mood of the entire scene. It changed the feeling of the entire scene. I think you know that music really affects the way we feel. And I think God actually has given us music. He's gifted us music to engage our hearts, to engage our emotions, yeah, to engage our affections, to actually just not love God in our heads, but with all of our lives. The end of verse 16 calls us to sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. This is a response. It's a response to what he's done for you. And it comes after we behold how wonderful he is in the gospel. This is praise. When we think about praise, this is what praise is, speaking well of someone. It's you saying, God, you are amazing. How good are you that you sent your son to die for us? Let me give thanks to you. I think we know that. Most of us would know that's what singing is for, that vertical element to God. But did you notice actually another big reason for singing together that we often don't think about as much? Look at this. It says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Friends, your singing isn't just a vertical act of praise to God. It's a horizontal 
act of teaching every single person around you. Did you realize that? As you sing, it's not just about you and God, okay? It's about actually helping others be encouraged and built up and grown in the gospel because you're proclaiming gospel truths, singing gospel truths to every single person around you. This is the one another aspect of church. You're reminding everyone around you what Jesus Christ has done. I wonder if you've ever thought about your singing like that. Two practical things. Number one, sing loudly, sing loudly. Let me ask you a question. Are you thankful for your salvation? Well, let's sing about it, right? Let's respond to God. Sing it. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Sing it. It's not about how well you sing, all right? God, you know, if God wanted us all to be perfect singers, he would have made us, you know, given us all perfect voices, right? I don't think that's what he cares about. He cares about your heart, right? So sing loudly. It's about the state of your heart. That's what God cares about. You sing loudly so others around you may know the truths of the gospel, that others around you may be reminded of those wonderful gospel truths, and that as you sing loudly, you offer up that praise to God. He's deeply pleased with that, friends. So I'd encourage you, sing loudly. Sing loudly. And here's another one. Come on time. Come on time. If we actually believe singing is precious, then why don't we act like it? (laughs) Regularly, as the first start, the song starts, right? There's... um, there's only one third of the church here. Um, what's that saying about what we believe about singing? That it's the expendable part of the service? That it actually doesn't matter that much? Friends, can I encourage you to come 10 minutes early to church? 10 minutes. You know, set the alarm 10 minutes earlier. Come and love and encourage the music team who are serving you um, by being here and they've been rehearsing hard. Show honor to God by prioritizing singing praises to him. And be here, be present, to build each other up as you sing loudly, because you can't encourage anyone if you're not here. Our third and final element of our church time together is encouraging one another. Verse 23 of Hebrews 10. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, just be brief on this one, because we're going to talk more about this as we go on. But let me just paraphrase verse 25. You see verse 25 there, uh, that second verse there? Um, Paraphrase, it means this. Be present. Be present. Just be around. Friends, Make gathering with your brothers and sisters a priority. Don't give up on that. Right? Just be here. Right? You don't have to do anything really special when you're here. You don't have to be up on stage to encourage people. You don't have to be serving in a formal ministry to encourage people. You just have to be here. Be present. And when you come together, participate. Don't be a spectator. Verse 24 calls us to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. In other words, encourage each other to worship. Encourage each other to worship. And all that takes is a conversation. A simple conversation. What we're to do together as we come together, friends, essentially is to say this to each other. Don't give up on Jesus. Keep going. Keep going. How good is Jesus? Remember how good Jesus is? Don't give up on him. Keep going. That's our message that we're to give to each other. That's what church is for. Helping us keep focused 
on the one deserving of all glory and honor and praise. So please, friends, don't just leave as quickly as you can after the service today. I'd encourage you to stay, stick around, talk to one another, turn to your neighbor and ask them, hey, how can I pray for you today? What a simple but profound and loving question to ask. Turn to your neighbor and share, share one thing that you were encouraged by today, what God's doing in your life, what he's taught you today. Share with them something from your life. And let's encourage each other to keep beholding Jesus as we wait for his return. Friends, we need to really believe that we need each other to embrace this. You need each other. And that's a good thing, right? It's about humility. It's about recognizing what God's gifted us with in the church. It's about, what, it's about recognizing what God's made us for. Community, encouragement, and relationship. Because in this, we will be encouraged to keep going for Jesus. To look at Jesus, behold him as we wait for his return, and to worship him. And let me tell you, he is worthy. Let me pray. Father God, we just ask that you help us, help us in our worship. Forgive us for the times maybe where we've made worship far too small, that we've compartmentalized it to a few hours on a Sunday, that we've maybe just ticked it off the list and thought that's our worship for you. Forgive us for this, Father, but instead give us a passion and a love and a devotion to Jesus Christ that infuses every single moment of our life. Please help us to keep beholding Jesus, seeing how wonderful he is, and to respond rightly to what he has done, to, done for us in the cross. We know we're not perfect, Father, and we fall far, so far short from this, but we pray for your help by the Spirit, and we thank you for your grace when we do stumble, because that is at the heart of the gospel, and we just praise you for that. Help us, Father, we pray for your glory. Amen. Friends, we get to do something very special today as another vital element